Welcome back to another episode of Finance with Fernando. I am Fernando, the Mortgage Maverick Tacuna, here with my social media guru, Dizzy Parker, for- Hi there. Hey there. For part three of our three-part series, Income, Assets, Credit. I have a shirt that says this. I should have wore it now that I'm thinking of it, but it's in the wash, so it's okay. Come on. We're going to take the picture later. It's all good. Uh, we'll, <laughs> you'll see me in the, the, the next video wearing that shirt. Um, so income assets credit, this is a reboot of a topic or topics I've done in the past. And we're just revisiting this after a year or so to kind of go over the importance of your income assets and credit when you're looking to apply for debt. So for an updated economy, would we exactly, be able to say that? Yes. Inflation, updated economy, what lenders are looking for, and just making sure that everything that I said a year ago is still applicable in today's market. We're going to discuss three subsections of why credit is important when you're applying for a loan. Those three topics will include what a consumer credit score is compared to a lender credit score, derogatory items and how they may affect you, which is negative credit, and then how to improve your credit in the short and long term whether it be from derogatory items, that negative credit effect, or if it's just a lower score that you want to get higher to receive a better rate. Okay, so those will be the three topics that I touch base on. Hopping into the first subsection topic, the consumer scores versus lender scores. So like you, I see my consumer score all the time. We're able to receive soft pulls on our credit, typically from our banking institution through a phone app, or you could go to websites like Credit Karma, um, et cetera, to kind of look at where your score is, okay? And those scores will allow you to kind of get an idea and a gist of where you currently stand with your credit score, okay? Um, it gives you that free insight to say, okay, my score is a 680, I'm applying for a home loan, and when you speak with a mortgage person, say, I'm looking to buy a $500,000 house, I have X amount of money to put down, this is my estimated credit score. That lender, whether you're buying a home, a car, a personal loan, what have you, they're going to do their own diligence and pull your credit either way. And that's where we find the difference of consumer scores compared to lender scores. Typically, consumer scores that you see through your banking app or Credit Karma is either a Vantage 3 score or a FICO 8 score. So what, what are the difference between those two? I was just about to say, and thank you for interjecting because I haven't included you in this conversation yet, <laughs> but those two credit scores basically will show you somewhat of a lib liberal amount of what your credit score may be. And the reason- Meaning like an estimation or they'll give you it, more? So great question. It's not necessarily an estimation. It's more so looking at your credit without the full picture. Okay, um, so when a lender looks at your credit score, we, we typically will look at your credit score from when you started your credit history until the day we pull credit. It also has other information when a lender pulls your credit report, which includes your prior residence history, your prior employment history, public records. So there's a lot more information when a lender pulls your credit, whereas when Credit Karma pulls your credit, they may be just looking at whether you paid on time within the past 12 or 24 months, you see. So there's there's just less information in their report on, a, on the consumer score side, whereas on the lender score side, we are digging deeper to make sure you have the ability to repay that debt and maintain the credit. 
All right. That makes good sense. Yeah. Like I've moved from state to state. That's probably not in my, my FICO score or whatever. It's it wouldn't so moving the residence history doesn't necessarily affect your credit score per se, but it does allow the lender to see what your residence history is to make sure that you're being truthful on your application, number one. But also if you're applying for a home loan and you say, I live in New York. And then we look at your credit report and it says you really live in South Carolina. They're going to say, well, why do you have an address on your credit report where you're getting mail in South Carolina, but you're stating that you live in New York, you see? So it also credit reports can be helpful and detrimental to a consumer and keep things honest, you know, keep you truthful in, in your application process, whether that's for a home loan, a car loan or, or what have you. All right. So uh, in our previous conversation, you said each one of these types of credit score has a different use. Uh, what would be the difference between how one is used versus the other? So the snapshot that you see on a banking app or Credit Karma is just general knowledge of how your credit is performing. And it, it gives you tips at times, right? So for example, if you use a major bank app, you could go in there and typically they'll allow you to plug in, you know, if I have a foreclosure on my credit, how does that impact my score? If I pay off this credit card, how does that impact my score? If I get a new credit card, how does that impact it? So it gives you tools to kind of educate and research on these phone apps and uh, creditkarma.com. The lender side of it is really just applying debt to your finances, right? So we're just making ah. sure that there's more consistency of information. Um, so... When, when I review credit, I do have um, credit companies that I work with that um, I don't necessarily refer to them, but I do introductions to say, you know, maybe you want to speak with this person so you could educate yourself on how to improve your score, if that's the case, or here are some tools that you could use. Um, whereas, you know, when, when it comes to the consumer side, it's just general knowledge. You know, you can't necessarily hang your hat on it. And that happens a lot. You know, Vantage 3 scores typically go up to a score rating of a 950, whereas FICO scores that lenders use only go up to 850. So I've had uh, clients call me and say, well, you know, my credit score is a 900, but on my rating scale, there is no 900. That's too high. You see what I mean? So sometimes what the consumer score is presenting is just not factual. It's just more of a reference point. Ah, that makes that makes good sense. Like it's way different to buy a computer than a house. Exactly, exactly. So they need to factor in different information. Exactly, yeah. I, and it happens it happens often where clients will reach out to me and say, "Oh, I just looked on my Chase phone app and it says that I have a credit score of a seven eighty five, and I pull their credit into seven sixty, and that may be because my credit report is taking in public record that may be negative or maybe some, you know, um, revolving utilization. You know, maybe they have credit card balances that are a little too high, you know, stuff like that. Maybe their credit history isn't as um, expanded as it needs to be. And that's affecting. Now, what, what difference uh, could that 20 points make in what you could be approved for? So that's a great question. Um 20 points can make a world of difference, right? So typically lenders, depending on the type of mortgage you're applying for, or even car loans, et cetera, you know, when it comes to a mortgage, let's say you have a credit score of a 620, right? And at that point, I pull credit and, and we find out, you know, you see it's a 620 on a Chase mobile phone app or through Credit Karma. 
I pull your credit into 600. Well, that may uh, prevent you from getting a conforming conventional loan. You may be able to get a different type of mortgage, like an FHA loan, a Federal Housing Administration loan, but you may not have that um, that type of loan that you were originally pursuing, and you may have to look at ulterior options, you know, um, to to make alternative options, I should say, you know, to to be able to finance that home, and it may change your game plan, right? The rates may be different, the closing costs may be more, so uh, a, a twenty point sway can really affect your finances and and potentially charge you thousands of dollars in interest over the life of that loan. Now, here's here's a question I have just because I know what I know about you switching companies and being able to offer more to, to new consumers. Um, anybody that's worked with you in the past, do you have an... Does this apply to those new products you can offer too? Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, so the company that I'm with now, Cross Country Mortgage, has... Uh, a portfolio of over, over 100 different investors where I can place loans. We have investors that don't look at credit at all, right? Um, but you have to be stronger if you have poor credit with your income and your assets. So everything when it comes to lending is risk-based. And as a consumer, you have to understand that. A lot of consumers, when they speak with me, they say, well, you know, I, I have a low credit score. Uh, my, my income isn't as high, but I have a lot of assets. Well, that's great, but those three buckets that we covered in this topic, income, assets, and credit, typically if you have two strong buckets in income, let's say in assets, but lower credit, you'll be okay. There's an investor that will support you because they'll take on that additional risk of not having significantly high credit, but they're going to charge you for it. So if you mark each box and say, I have good income, I have the money to buy a house, and I have good credit, then you're gonna get the best deal. If you're lacking in one of those fields, you may not get the best deal, but you may be able to, you know, turn around and still get the loan, right? It just may be not the most favorable terms. Maybe the interest rate's higher. Maybe your closing costs are higher. Um, now, if you're missing two of those buckets, let's say you're not making enough income and you don't have enough credit, then the issue with that is, is that you only have assets and it, it's just sometimes too much risk for an investor mm. to you know, to back you for the financing at that point. So we'll look to coach you and make sure that we get you on the right track and build those buckets up over time. That makes tons of sense. What about the things that are bringing my credit down, those derogatory items? Great, great question. So derogatory items are just negative items that are on your credit, okay? And yeah, and I have a nice few of those. Well, so yeah, so the types of items, there's, there's less severity to high severity, right? So low severity would be um, something like a late payment. You know, so let's say you failed to pay a credit card one month, you thought it was on auto payment, and you missed that 30 day, you got hit with a 30 day late payment, but you paid it off the next month or you paid the payment the mm -hmm. next month. That's low severity. High severity would be like a bankruptcy, a foreclosure, a short sale, a charge off, you know, those types of items. And the impact of those items depends on um, how much the item was for, okay? So if you had a foreclosure, let's say, and you're applying for a home loan, that's a problem, right? Because now you're, you're asking a lender to take you on as a client and take on the risk of lending to you. But if they see that you weren't able to manage that debt in the past, that debt type of a mortgage, and you foreclose or short sale the home, they're going to walk carefully or tread carefully when they lend to you this time. And they're gonna want to offset that risk by having more impactful 
buckets, right? That income, that assets, you know, maybe your credit score is better now, even though you have a foreclosure in the past, you know, you, you may still be able to get a loan. It just depends on how long it's been since you had this derogatory credit. And that's what's key here. Having negative items on your credit report, a lot of consumers would contact me and say, I had a foreclosure 10 years ago. I felt like I had a rent for the rest of my life because I, I just thought that lenders won't lend to me. That's not true. You are able to still get a home loan. It just depends on how long it's been since this major credit event, okay? Um, so making sure that you know you speak with your lender, someone like myself and say, I had a foreclosure, a late payment, a short sale, a bankruptcy, whatever it may be, I, it was three years ago, but also explain why it happened. Was it an extenuating circumstance? Meaning like uh, a divorce, a death in the family, the loss of income because of a disability, something along those lines, or was it because of financial mismanagement? Financial mismanagement is the worst case scenario. So an example of that is, is you buy a home knowing that you're not gonna be able to pay that mortgage, right? And you end up foreclosing on the home. You buy a home and you say, well, you know what? I'm gonna switch careers right after I close on my house. You don't say that to the lender. You switch careers and then you get fired. Or you buy a home, after a few years, you you know, you know end up just saying, you know what? This is too much. I, I don't wanna pay this and you stop paying. That's financial mismanagement, you know, over. Well, let's yeah. see what you think about my real world scenario. Okay. Uh, because I, I love I'm when you sure do this to me and it's unplanned. Go ahead. This is going to be I fun. love it. <laughs> I, lo I want to see what your answer okay. is. Because you know that in 2019, like I just flipped my life upside down and that's what ruined my whole credit journey. Uh, so in that year, I had like I changed careers, like I moved to California with the hopes of, OK, this is going to be a little bit more lucrative than it was in New York. And I'm going to be able to grow in other areas, too, because there was just more income there. But it didn't work out. And uh, like the job did not go as planned. And I just moved back to New York suddenly and became an entrepreneur. And in doing that, like I used a lot of my resources I had a car get charged off uh, for like, it was a used car price, like $12,000 or something. Um, that's like low like for a car. That's like a low for a car. Right yeah. Now. Yeah. It was like, it was a used car when I got it and then it got charged off. And I have reported 31 late credit card payments. I don't know if that is, if that is between credit cards and the car or whatever, but that's what I see when I look at my Chase app. I see 31 late payments and my score is 640 according to them. But how, what what would I do with those derogatory items if all that's behind me? Well, so the problem with late payments is they, late payments are so simplistic, but they haunt you because there's no way to get mm. rid of them. You know, consumers at times say, well, I'm gonna call the company and it was an error. I'm gonna have them remove the late payment and they won't, they can't do it. Um, and it really stinks because those late payments sometimes, especially if you have multiple, they really add up. And late payments on a credit card may not be as impactful if you have late payments on a housing payment. So if you're applying, once again, if you're applying for a home loan, it's always context. If you have late payments for a housing payment, one late payment on a housing payment may be too much risk for a lender to lend to you. But if you have five late payments on a credit card, they may say, okay, you know what? He lost his income and it's not on a housing payment. So they'll just sometimes mark it up as things happen, right? Now, if you have in excess of 20 or 30 late payments, 
there was a trend there, right? And and they're going to dig deeper into that. And and the mm-hmm. only solution may be to wait. Like you and I talked about this on a personal level. You may have to step away from that for several years. Um, you know, and, and if it's been a few years, like you mentioned, 2019, it's 2022. So you're three years, you know, three years later. From that last late payment, if you could wait two or three years, I think you're still able to, if you meet the the requirements on income assets and credit, still get a home loan. You know, and it will depend on that risk factor and the investor. But uh, it's not like it, it, it's still worth trying, right? And if it doesn't work, yeah. we could give you feedback and say, well, you know what? They looked at it. They said it's still too soon. They need you to be X amount of years from this. You know, and so. I guess that fits right along with having the consistency of income from being an entrepreneur too. Well, like exactly. That started in twenty yeah. twenty, and 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 you could almost consider it um, an extenuating circumstance where you know it was like because you moved from state to state. You see what I mean? So you you anticipated a career change. You moved out to California, and then it just didn't work. So then you moved back. There was you know, a lot of inconsistencies. It's not like you were just still in New York and said, I'm not paying my bills, you know? Yeah. Um, so it, it just, at the end of the day with derogatory credit and late payments, the extenuating circumstances and financial mismanagement is an explanation. So it's important for you to understand that it's a human that's reading your explanation. You have to type it up when you're applying for a home loan. And then they're going to be the decision maker. The underwriter is going to say, this makes sense. You know, and okay, ah. we document it. So, so be aware of that. There's no, there's a guideline that we use. You know, um, and some sometimes it's more apparent if it's your financial mismanagement or if it's extenuating circumstances. I recently posted something about a client who had a bankruptcy, and we have to wait three years from when that bank's bankruptcy completed. She told myself and the underwriter, we just stopped paying because I was co-signing for my mother, and my mother couldn't make that mortgage payment. And I was no longer contributing to it. So there was, there was a, it was known that they couldn't afford the home. They knew it, you know, and they admitted it in, in some way, shape or form. Like, you know, on her income alone, she couldn't pay for it. And I was no longer living there. So I stopped paying. So her mom went into foreclosure, you see. Wow. So, so that's, that's clear and defined financial mismanagement. You have to understand there's going to be some culpability here when you apply for a home loan as lenders, Auto dealerships, stuff like that, we do a certain level of diligence, but you have to explain things to us. And if you don't explain things to us and we don't understand your background um, and we somehow miss it or um, we find out later that something happened, that could kind of that could that could play a major role in whether you're moving forward or not with the transaction. That's interesting. There is a bit of selling yourself to a lender or an underwriter. Oh, absolutely. It's all it it basically that's really what it is. You know, when you want to try and make yourself sellable to the point where, because you got to understand, think about it on a consumer side. Let's say you were lending me $100,000, right? Just think person to person. If you were lending me $100,000, would you want not want to know what's my history of repaying people who lend me money? Do I have the, the means and the income to repay you the money? And if I'm buying something and using a portion of your money to buy this and I have to use my own money, do I have that money, right? So so that's income assets credit to a T. You know, that's literally what it is, income assets credit. When people look at banks, they, they, they feel that there is a level of entitlement 
where a bank should lend money or a lender like Cross Country, a, a mortgage bank should lend money because that's what we do and we're a company and we're going to make money. So we should lend you money. And 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 it's true to an extent, but you have to understand it's it's all based on risk. If I lend you $20 knowing that you're not going to pay me back, why am I lending you $20? Now that's charitable. That's not- it Makes total sense. There's, we wouldn't be in business. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. And it's kind of crazy because I say this to some people and, and, and these are very intelligent consumers, but we're so one-sided at times, right? Mm-hmm. You know, we're one-sided and we say, well, what's in it for me? Well, what's in it for the person you're dealing with as well? You know? I mean, yeah, it is a business. They're in the business of lending money. Exactly. So it has to be a good business exactly. deal. What is somebody like myself or anybody else that's trying to improve credit, how would they go about that in an efficient way? Like a couple of steps. So improving yourself and your credit is first identifying your true credit. So I have some clients that will come to me if you are intending on buy a home, buying a home, have a conversation with a lender, right? And and just say, this is what I'm dealing with. You know, I, I look at my credit through my bank app or Credit Karma. It shows that I have, like what Dizzy said, I have a bunch of late payments, you know, and, and I, usually I'll ask about timing at that point. How long ago was it that you had late payments? And then based on a client's response, I'll say, you know what, let's do a pre-approval. You know, let's let's move. If you're buying a home, let's do the pre-approval application. Let's see what that credit score looks like. And then I could make some recommendations from there. I'm not a credit coach and I'm not allowed to credit coach clients, but I could look at credit and give feedback um, and basically say, based on my experience, it looks like, you know, this is really impacting your score. One of the biggest things to improve your credit is lowering your revolving utilization. Revolving utilization is basically what your balances are in your credit cards compared to what your limits are. So if you have a $10,000 credit limit and you end up having a balance of, let's say, 8000 on your 10000 credit limit uh, credit card, you're using 80%. Your revolving utilization is 80%. Credit bureaus, TransUnion, Equifax, and Experian, typically want your revolving utilization to be less than 30%. I've heard less than 40%, less than 30%. Less than 30% of the lowest possible is ideal. Now, a way to also lowering your revolving utilization is also allowing yourself to have more credit limits. So I'll give you a quick story. I've always been in the high sevens, low eights for my FICO score up to an 850 credit score. And recently I opened up, I became an authorized user on a credit card for my wife. We opened up a joint, it's not really a joint credit card because you can't have joint credit cards, but she opened up a credit card, added me as an authorized user with a credit limit of 22,000 or $23,000. Somehow, and once again, the credit bureau, some, sometimes you don't really understand why it improves your score. But even though I pay all of my debt monthly off, my score raised by 20 points. So now I'm in the mid 800s because I allowed myself to have that much more credit available while not, while not abusing it. Okay, so that's probably... Yeah, that very thing happened to me and my wife, yeah. too. She made me an authorized user on like three cars and instantly my credit, credit score, score jumped, jumped. Like 50 points. Yeah, because because what's happening is that now it's almost like the credit bureaus are saying, well, someone else is backing that other person, right? Like they trust, there's like a trust factor. And that's, that's a lot of this when it comes to lending, right? It's trust, it's transparency. Um, so if your revolving utilization drops, you'll immediately see... A bump in, in scores. A lot of consumers say, well, I just got to pay my debt off. 
It's true, but if you could show that you can maintain debt and pay a monthly payment, that is actually more impactful, especially if you're just building your credit. I always say, you know, charge $200 on a credit card, pay the minimum, $25 a month. Yeah, you're gonna pay some interest, but honestly, that interest that you're paying is the cost for you to build your score. That's the way you gotta look at it. It's not necessarily a bad thing. Yeah, so that's that's something that's that's really, really valuable to know. Another thing is, is when you're trying to improve your score in the short term, be aware that any collections you may have, even if they're for like $50, are extremely impactful. Last year, I was helping a client buy a home in the Midwest, and she was being advised by her father um, not to pay certain collections off when she was renting. She had some payments, I guess, when she moved out. Um, the apartment wasn't clean or something like that. And they ended up charging her like a $100 fee that she disagreed with and she ended up not paying it and it went into collections. Now this, this client of mine was in her mid to late 20s, had established credit, but it was it was impeding on her credit score and giving her a score in the high sixes. You know, it was like, I believe between 670 and 700. And that was causing her to take a higher interest rate when she was buying her home loan. Now her father, who was coaching her on how to maintain credit, you know, and make sure that she was prepped to buy a home, kept telling her, don't pay the collection because we disagree with it. And I was saying the complete opposite. For $100, what's happening is, is that if you don't pay that $100, every month you don't pay it, it hits your credit as a late payment. It also hits you oh, as wow. a collection. So, so for multiple months within that year, she had that she was past due on a $100 payment. And when I spoke with her, she said, Fernando, I don't wanna pay it, I don't agree with it. I said, listen, you have to look at it this way. You either pay $100 and your credit score goes up and you could walk away from this over time and have better credit, or you could dispute the $100 and have to you know, submit paperwork to them or what have you, just keep disputing it. But while you're disputing it, your credit is going to be harmed the entire time. They're still reporting. <laughs> yeah, so, so at a certain point, you have to look at your pride and say, you know what? Is it worth me holding on to this money? Now, if it's a it's significant amount, let's say a thousand, two thousand, five thousand dollars, then yes, you know, you, you may have to dispute it because you may not have the the finances to pay it. But, yeah, but if a hundred dollars prevents you from moving hear, forward in life, more often, pay it. Yeah, exactly. And I see it more often on small amounts, Verizon bills, medical bills, you know, uh utility bills that just end up not getting paid and they go into collections just sometimes just pay it, just pay it, get it over with. You may not like it, but honestly, it's going to help you in the long run. Um, yeah. So those are really two short-term ways. Lower your revolving utilization, pay off collections if you have the ability to, even if you don't agree with them. And then like a long-term fix is, I know this kind of stinks for me to say it, but let time pass. Sometimes lenders like- It'll go before you know yeah, it. I mean, honestly, like, you know, for this this client of mine who had a bankrupt, um, I'm sorry, had a foreclosure, she has to wait at least three years to apply for a new home loan. It's in the guidelines. So sometimes there's nothing you could do, but wait, you have to just wait. And then at that point, you know, once you hit that mark and that that um, major negative impact is seasoned, right, and you're past that time period, then you could apply and and you've met that requirement. So. Those are some short and long-term ways to improve. 
I think that even for somebody like me, like this is really good information. And this series is going to help a lot of people, I think, because uh, I mean, if you put those basic things in order, it just makes sense. Yep. Even to a non-financially literate person. Yeah. Well, I think what's important about credit is, is that no one knows what goes into credit. I, I don't care what anyone says. Like people are, I have more clients call me and say, my credit's an 800, you know, like, and I've done videos on this, right? My credit's an 800 credit score. What can I get for a loan? It, it's one piece of the puzzle, but also um, working in finance for now over 12 years, I can tell you that there is there is an algorithm that the bureaus use to figure out credit, but it's uh, it's not easily deciphered, right? So you just have to do your best to to look at it from both sides of the coin. You know, look at it how you're managing your finances, but how someone else is looking in on how you're managing your finances and take that into consideration as well. That makes sense. All right. Everybody go get pre-approved with the Mortgage Maverick. It's listen, that's probably one of the biggest things that people wait. Um, you know, we're in a crazy real estate market right now with inflation well over 8%. Um, the point is, is that start early, build yourself up, speak to a professional. My wife is a financial advisor and I tell people all the time, speak with a financial advisor, speak with a lender if you're looking to you know, explore alternative options for your portfolio. You know, a financial advisor or a lender like myself, we give free consultations, right? So sit down with us, talk to us, pick our brains, use us as a resource. And even if you end up not moving forward with some form of business, at least you're better educated. And that's all we want. We just want the masses to be educated. So so people aren't making the wrong decisions because as a whole, it affects our economy. And in turn, that affects us as well. Thank you once again for tuning into this three-part series of income assets and credit. Hopefully you had some valuable takeaways. If you want me to talk about a specific topic that's near and dear to your heart, please reach out to me on social media at Real Mortgage Maverick, realmortgagemaverick at gmail.com. Feel free to comment on this video. I love to hear from you and see what additional content you want to hear my head talking about. Dizzy, thank you so much for joining me in this series. Everything that Glad we yeah, everything we discuss was off the cuff. We really don't plan these uh, you know, these videos. We have a few bullet well, points. Don't tell them that. Yeah, we we don't we don't plan this stuff. We kind of go off the cuff and simply because of the fact that it's valuable information and it's real life. So Keep watching, engage with me. I'll do whatever you want me to do and speak about whatever you want me to speak of. Um, Even dance. I will dance. I will dance in my Mortgage Maverick shoes. In my Absolutely. Mortgage Maverick the shoes. The brand new Mortgage Maverick yep. shoes. We got to get you some pants now, some draws. For sure. I got socks coming. <laughs> I'll help you finance your first next and last home. Thank you for watching. I'll catch you on the next one.